Hi, everyone. Welcome to Get a Word In with me, your host, Josh Wagner, connecting with friends discussing yesterday, today, and beyond. And today we enter the culinary mind of chef restaurant owner Brad Kilgore, who recently has not only been focusing on reopening his restaurants and his team, but also has been dedicating his free time and efforts to helping uplift the culinary community of Miami. His time is precious and he's sharing with us today. Chef, it's great to have you. How are you? Gosh, man, great to see you. I miss you, man. <laughs> I miss you too, bud. Yeah. I miss you too. And and Brad, if we did walk into a room and we we're at a dinner table, here's how I would introduce you. And I would say so much more afterwards, but here's a short introduction, a dinner table introduction to Brad Kilgore. So a Midwestern transplant via Kansas City, has worked in places like Alinea, L2O, uh, has worked in Italy and Chicago and Miami, worked with people like John Jordan von Richten, uh, Laurent Gras. Uh, 2011, he moved down to Miami, established his feet here, places like Azul. But Brad made his power move personally in 2015 by opening Altar, uh, which began the empire of Kilgore hospitality. Since then, Brad has earned five James Beard nominations, four semifinalist ones, one as a finalist as the number one, uh, as chef of the South. In 2016, Brad was also named the best new American chef in America of the year by Food and Wine. Uh, Brad currently, since 2015, owned and operator Kaido Ember oversees all culinary at the Adrian R Center, including Brava. He's clearly a very busy man, and I'm happy he can join us here today. It's great to see your face, my friend. What did great I miss? Thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> Flattering, flattering, but uh, you know, we've uh, we've had a nice little run at it, and uh, we're about to do it all over again. You know, <laughs> a nice little run at it and doing it over again, which we're going to get into today. Uh, but Brad, we've been friends for years, and I, I want to just break the ice, share a little story to start us off, something on a positive side before we dig into it today. What do you got? Quick story, Brad Kilgore. Okay, well, um, I want to tell him about Japan a little bit. You know, uh, <laughs> maybe not maybe not all of it, but uh, there's it's one part. Of it. <laughs> um, why Japan? Well, uh, randomly, you and I both ended up scheduling trips to Japan at the same exact time. Yeah. Um, I think you posted on Facebook, and you needed advice or places to go. I didn't, you know, I had my plans, but I've never been either. And, um, you know, I shot you a text and we realized we're going to be there, I think on the same day or within 24 hours, we we're getting in. And, uh, Sri and I were going out there to kind of R and D for Kaido. And we decided we weren't that far away from each other. So, um, I think through a friend, through a DJ who ended up having pink hair co, um, he chose his friend's restaurant, brand new restaurant. He wanted to support, wanted us to meet. Well, Tokyo is vast. It's like 30, 40, 35, 40 million people. So um, we decided to go to this restaurant. How long was your train ride? 50 minute train ride, but I never even left the city. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. still like in the city yeah. on the train. Um, you know, we're jumping between Wi-Fi's to connect. So it's not like we have a phone. We can just call each other. And I'm like, Get out of the station and look for some guy with pink hair. And that, that's the whole set of instructions that you had. And <laughs> we can go on for details and details about that night set. Let, let's just say we took it to the sunrise. But that was that exploratory journey that like all of us want to have from a hospitality and, and, and culinary perspective, right? Totally, totally. And, and we must have painted at least eight different doors that night. And oh, for sure. Like, and just... Yeah, dude. Yeah. We Great. will travel again together soon. 100%. Right? <laughs> All right. So I want to ask 
before we start off, three rapid fire questions to you. Brad doesn't know these, but I'm gonna lay it on him. First one I'm gonna ask you, what is the first place you long to return to? Oh, uh, like travel destination? When you can travel tomorrow, first place. Uh, Southeast Asia. Um, I was booked to go to Bali and cook again and then hit up Bangkok, which I've never been. <clears throat> and uh, it's just such a different world than where I come from. Kansas, you know, Southeast Asia, it couldn't be more polar opposite. Um, and we love it from food to people, you know. The, the, the people of Thailand, man, are extraordinary. And Bangkok is a city just... Put your seatbelts on because it's, it's a bumpy ride. I need you to Next, come babysit. Yeah, man. Shit. <laughs> Next question. What was your last good deed? Um, we we closed altar by um, literally inviting everyone and anyone that's been furloughed uh, or, or lost their job or any hardship whatsoever to come and uh, pick up food uh, at altar. And we made... Hot meals. Uh, we did it for six services. We we got some you know outside funding to make it happen, um, and we had um, only planned on doing five. And I said we have more food. We have more people. People are hungry, and uh, we were able to do one more day just you know to make it happen. So that was kind of how Alter waved waved goodbye for the moment, and uh, that was last week. Amazing. How many meals in total? Uh, like fourteen hundred. That's incredible. Last question. If you could open a new concept tomorrow, what would it be? First thing that popped in my head, it was dumplings, like just dim sum, you know, uh, <laughs> fast casual. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I, I might eat us out of the business. So, like, I got to think about that. <laughs> but I'll be your best customer so okay. I can challenge you. We can balance it out. We'll balance it out. I like we'll that. The most. All right. Thanks, man. So I, I want to really dig into the nuts and bolts of who you are, your expertise, and what you can impart on anyone watching of some really valuable points on two subject matters. I wanna get into two subject matters today, and the first one being specifically uh, the future of fine dining. So when I say to you fine dining, what did you think about it before COVID, and what do you think about it now, and where do you think it's gonna be? Right. What does fine dining mean to Brad Kilgore? You know, um, first I'm gonna answer it. I think my intentions with Alter was, were to blur the lines of the inaccessibility of fine dining and blur the lines of just a really good neighborhood restaurant and fine dining. So fine dining previously, for forever, for centuries basically, was your white tablecloth, your suit and tie, and that kind of stuffy, pretentious environment. And um, the way the industry has turned in the last 10 to 15 years has really allowed just because you're putting a lot of focus on the plate and the quality of service and, and pairing a wine, um, fine dining has gotten a more broad definition. And so Alter, with the name Alter, to uh, give you alternative option or alternative way of looking at it, um, I think we continue on that route. So I don't think people are going to stop wanting nice things. Uh, I think people uh, work very hard and they like to, uh, you know, reap the benefits of their hard work and, and enjoy their time with their friends and family. And that's not going to go anywhere. Um, you know, so in order for us to see what to do on the next step, yeah, I think we need to make it a little bit more accessible again. Um, most people's, uh, everyone's pocketbooks are, are hit and affected right now and some worse than others, unfortunately. Um, but coming out of this, you know, Alter was a tasty menu only restaurant. Uh, for the last about three and a half years. And that was because we had a demand. We used to have all the cart and at the bottom of the menu, it said, you know, tasty menu, five courses. Well, that went so well, we put at the bottom tasty menu, seven courses, um, choice of. And then one day I was working and 
we were sold out, fully booked, and only one table ordered a la carte. And every other table got a tasting menu. Well, now I'm losing money by preparing all these other dishes that nobody's ordering. And that Tuesday when we opened back up, we never looked back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know for sure if that's in our cards on the other side of this. And so we might put a little bit more control in the hands of the guests. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was always what I did with the menu anyway, because we had um, our enhancements is what I call it. Basically, you could choose a dish that had like the soft egg or a truffle pasta or a steak dish, and you could customize your menu. And it, we always kept the price point approachable in our five course menu because that kept it altered. Um, but if you really wanted to ball out and go for it, you could go for all the truffles and the foie gras and, and hit it hard. And that kept us accessible. And I think accessibility is um, what we're going to focus on and making people comfortable, which has always been our goal there. So let me answer your question. In terms of in terms of fine dining, you know, you have approachability is a huge thing right now. People don't want to be, quote unquote, flexing, flossing, showing off their wealth in public. But then you have you know, institutions like Noma that are you know, hey, we're going to take all of our three Michelin stars and just break it down to a burger, a veggie burger and a wine bar. Right. Like, what do you feel as a chef that's going to be driving concepts of somebody judging your fine dining experience like that guy really is going to have a two hundred and twenty five dollar check average? Like, How do you feel as a chef and owner to proclaim fine dining? Like, how do you feel about your reputation associated with that? You know. In the end, if people are walking out your door happy and satisfied, that's what you're looking for. And, and and it's a full circle. You know, people always said, oh, you have a tasting menu. You can put whatever you want on the menu. And I'm like, no, listen, I need to put on a dish that can be functional in the kitchen. They got to be able to prepare it. They got to be able to get it out the door. The guest has to love it enough to tell their friend to come back to the restaurant so the dishwasher can put food on its table. Mm. And that part isn't going to go away. So I think what I'm trying to say is, check your ego. You know, it's okay to uh, take a step back. I mean, look, number one restaurant in the world, making hamburgers. It doesn't go any different from eating raw, alive shrimp, live shrimp to eating a cheeseburger and having a glass of wine. That's full ends of the spectrum. Uh, so right now it's about, it's about uh, creating something worth quality um, that is intriguing and interesting. And that, you know, keeps people's mouths fed on both sides of it from your staff to the guests. So fine dining and creativity isn't going to go away. People are always going to want to be intrigued. You know, that's why you always want a new thing, you know, because you you want that excitement. Um, That's not going to go away. I just think we're going to put a a little bit more emphasis on accessibility and build our way back up. And um, that way we're not, you know, bastardizing anyone. We want everyone to be able to experience Alter or Brava, you know, fine dining. Yeah. So, so that being said, I, I think obviously we're very sensitive right now in terms of everyone's feelings and how people react to products. Uh, and ex- I think accessibility, yes, 100% will be a key factor in how we roll out fine dining. That said, I think that this is going to be a shining moment in closed off culinary moments. Like, I think that this is going to be an incredible moment of reintroducing white table service-esque experiences to closed off boxed in experiences, right? Like there's always going to be wealthy people and people are going to want to have the extremes. So like take me, for example, I used to eat out six days a week. Yeah, I learned how to cook a little bit. I may not go out as often as I did. You know, you br- uh, I'm going to cut you off. You brought up a good point. I told all my sous chefs, I said, listen, guys, 
everyone's going to sit at home for two months and they're going to become pretty good cooks. Yeah. I was like, we got to step it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to step it up. And this, this is where I think that luxury dining has this unique moment in time because it's about closed off, controlled experiences, sanitary, feeling safe. Like we want all of our guests to feel safe, that they're in good hands. I think that luxury dining, there's going to be a lot of private dining societies, yeah. private chef hirings. Right. There's going to be, oh, there's four of you, eight of you. Hey, don't post this. I got something for you. That's going to be something yeah, called totally. passe or whatever, right? That's great. You know, I mean, look, think about speakeasies in the 20s. Like, you know, people will move on. People will survive. People will want to live. Um, I mean, they took away alcohol and I, I bet alcohol sales went up, you know, for, for plenty of establishments. So, you know, you tell us we can't do it. We're going to do it. And it drives uh, creativity. It drives um, people's interest. You know, everyone's got a little edgy side to them, you know. <laughs> and I mean, it's also, you know, tell a chef that they can't do something, that is a smack in the face and they will figure out a way to do it. Right. I, I just think from the dining perspective, I, you know, we can talk about vegetables, vegetable, vegetables, uh, protein selection, everything. Like people are very conscious about where their product is coming from, right? So like how it's in, in affecting the environment, where that imprint is going to be. I, I just think, though, that there's this moment right now that fine dining is going to have this maybe undocumented exclusivity moment that's about to happen because people don't want to share it all necessarily. But I think some cool moments will happen. Yeah. Yeah. People don't want to brag that they're able to afford these sort of things. And, and um you know, but it's also as an operator, like this is also how we pay our bills and, and we feed our families. So you, you can't really get on us for, for trying to strive to create that product. And that's why, like, I was so interested in making different types of restaurants. I mean, we have an ice cream shop. We have Ember fried chicken and barbecue ribs and, uh, you know, pasta and mashed potatoes. And so we've got these different concepts to feed you at different times, you know, at different points in your life, different points in your week. Um, and that stuff isn't going to go away. And, uh, People like to have a great time, and we're here, we're the hospitality industry. I mean, you were the king of that, you know, taking people, and you basically they don't even know they want it, and you create it and put it out there, and then they're like, oh, I have to have that, and I want it yeah. again. I mean, listen, one thing that I know I think we both can agree upon is that we want to have the passion of the engagement with the guests, yeah. and I think that now fine dining may be one of those moments that we can still create that because we are encouraging social distancing. So that communal feel may be good for a menu item, but the fine dining experience could still, it may be the Phoenix that it, rises out of this. It's conducive to personalized attention, right? Yes. So I really think, you know, speaking with you with Alter and, you know, knowing your attention to detail, I think that fine dining may have this incredible moment because you know what? We only got four guests tonight. We only have eight guests tonight. It may be exceptional, you know? Right. Anyway, next question. I want to talk to you secondly about the value of menu items. Yeah. This, this is something we should have been talking about pre-COVID. But what do you think about when I say the value of menu items? Okay. So you're, you're hitting it hard in my heart. You know, um, I, I've been a I cooked my whole life. I was a dishwasher at 10 years old. I made less than $3 an hour in my first job. Um, I worked my way all the way up to here. Um, and there's always been this discrepancy of how much people get paid in our industry, even front or back. Cause even front of the house, you live off the tips. You might only make three, three to $6 an hour in, in some, you know, establishment. So this all being said, 
people that our society, you and me, we are accustomed to not paying enough for our food. Now you're like, how come you have a burger that's $25 on your menu? Well, I use steak and ribeye to make my burger, but I can go get a burger for 99 cents. And that whole vision, that, that, that image of people and, and what they think the value of it has been ruined by mass farming. Um, honestly, I can go back all the way to uh, World War II where this all started from uh, uh, basically. Mass production, yeah. Yeah, pe- people came back from World War II and they had a, the way that they produced the food to get them to the soldiers in Europe. They started the using it. was killed, right? Yeah, so now in the 50s, the TV dinner came out and the canned food and all these things, this uh, making things accessible and easy and cheap. Well, that's steamrolled into basically ruining our, our industry in many different ways. So I just saw some menus this week from early 90s, California. Their menu items, appetizers are 12 to $17. Entrees are 28 to $50. You know, yeah, these were high-end restaurants, but I think everybody – there's more high-end restaurants now than there ever were. And so I did the little inflation uh, calculator to appease myself. Um, a $14 appetizer in 1993 should be $26 now. If you walked into your neighborhood restaurant and saw a $26 um, beef tartare or crispy calamari, you know, you'd say, what the hell is this place thinking? But guess what? That's the actual inflation rate. Now, I mean, these menu items that I saw from the 90s, the chicken was 30 bucks. I guarantee you, three out of four restaurants right now, their chicken entree is 26 to $28. And co- gas, cost of living, overhead, rent, everything, electricity, everything else is up there. The national average of margin for a restaurant right now is 4 to 7%. I mean, how much do you think the margin is the people selling us the food? So, what, so, so what do you recommend – is the fix. Like, how do you teach your consumer? Yeah, I do need to charge you $22 for a gem salad. Yeah, Yeah, I do need to charge you $18 for the mojito because the mint is costing me X, Y, and Z. Like, what do you say to encourage business growth and not discourage your guests to join you? I think what we're going through right now can actually be a catalyst into this new perspective. So, we're not going out and maybe soon we'll go out a little bit. Maybe it's once a week, maybe it's once a month, but maybe it's twice a week. And I think that's going to be a big deal to go out twice a week soon. Right. Cause we've been all been home. And so maybe making it worth it when you go out. Right. Cause if you're going out six days a week, like you mentioned, uh, you're going to be spending 70 to $150 every time you go out. Um, well maybe combine that and put those together. So you spend a hundred to 120 bucks for dinner for two, um, that makes a more impact and, and society has to agree that these things have more value. Imagine how do you even make a, a salad for nine or $10 from seed to table? How does anyone ever get paid? I mean, they drove that. How many hundreds well, of miles? Let me interrupt that. See the table of what people's expectations are now. They're like, where is this salad from? Is, is this being sourced appropriately? Right. And if it is, it's going to cost more than nine bucks for you to have that salad on your on your plate in a restaurant that's curated, that has the lighting, the music, the With staff. With air conditioning on in South Florida. <laughs> yeah. I just want to put it out there to the universe is like expect to pay a little bit more and, and you're going to get your favorite restaurant is going to be around a little bit longer because we can – need to be able to charge a little bit more. It's not about going to the bank and shoveling cash into the account. It's about feeding people and our staff having livable wages. With this closure, it wouldn't, how many businesses not in the restaurant industry that this closure didn't affect 
to the level that it affected the hospitality industry? I would say at least the other half, right? So if, if restaurants are, are 15 or 20% of, of the jobs in the country, 35% were pretty well also hurt and ruined. The other half, are, they're okay. And they can afford to pay their staff for a month or two. You know, here you go. We got a bunch of cash in the bank. Restaurants don't operate like that. And if you yeah. think they do, look at the best ones like EMP. EMP is like, I don't know if I'm going to reopen. But they were the most successful restaurant, you know, um, sold out months and months ahead, do millions of dollars a month in sales. It just does. It's not in the cards for the way that we are able to charge for our product. And also think about the farmer and where the f- product comes from. Um, if we're all willing to pay a little bit more. I know I'm willing to pay a little bit more. Maybe you eat out one or two times less, but you spend a little bit more and the impact will be heavier. It's really interesting because I think it does come down to fundamentally curiosity. Convenience versus curiosity, like convenience of eating and sustaining your your belly and your hunger and curiosity to experience something new. It's uh, it's really interesting because people obviously have opinions. They can have information at their fingertips 24 seven yeah. and people know what they're putting into their body. So if they're uncomfortable, when I say curiosity, convenience versus curiosity, I'm eating conveniently. Yeah. My curiousness is going out and having a dining experience and having this engagement and understanding why my gem salad does now cost 17 bucks opposed to now. We're not even talking about the PPE that the restaurants are going to have to now take on another couple thousand dollars a month and costs from, you know, gloves, face masks, hand sanitizer stations, like all that. I think everyone needs to also be ready for a small, maybe $1 per person charge for these, for these things. And it's only reasonable because otherwise that restaurant will not be around next month. There should be the real consideration of a different taxation of the convenience of being able to actually operate. My friends, we could talk about it forever. <laughs> I, I, I do think it's incredibly interesting that as operator, you are asking your consumer to be conscious, curious, respectful, and also understanding of what is going into what you want to deliver, deliver to them as a passionate owner and instill that in your employees and to tell everyone who walks in your doors this is being done for a reason, curated with a lot of thought and time. Please right. be considerate to us. Please be considerate to your journey because we're trying to take you on one that you're going to enjoy and go home with. Um, Brad, if I can ask you to close out to get a word in, what would be your word in with me? You know what? We're going to make it. We're going to be great. I will give you a big hug one of these days. And uh, that's one thing I, I miss giving my friends a big hug when I see them. Now, you know, it's it's going to come back, but we got to do it together. And that's as a society. And, you know, believe in your brother, believe in your neighbor. Um, one thing that I always did coming from the Midwest, and I'll put in perspective down here in Miami, when you go to the gas station, you walk out, hold the door for the next guy. And that'll reciprocate. You keep that mindset in life. I think it will return to you. Well, Brad Kilgore, paying it forward is something you will always do. And uh, my friends, I look forward to that hug. You know what? The journey is going to continue, and I look forward to seeing it uh, with you and your evolution and Kilgore Hospitality. Only love. I will see you soon, bud. Thanks for getting a word in. Take care.